Lord, we thank you for your presence. Don't take that for granted. Lord, the fact that you would come and visit us. Lord, I pray that tonight, as we continue in this atmosphere, Lord, I pray that tonight, Lord, even as we come around the altar, Lord, as we lay everything down, that tonight, Lord, that you would come in a powerful, Lord, I pray tonight, Lord, that we would be able to mark down on the calendar that this was the night that things changed in my life. I came tonight, Lord, for an encounter. Pray this with me. Say, Jesus. Oh, come on. Come on, pray it like you mean it. Say, Jesus. Speak to my heart. Change my life. In your precious name. Amen. Amen. Turn with me to uh, Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8. We just have a phenomenal service with the junior high. And I noticed in the junior high they did exactly what we're doing in the senior high. And that is the guys on this side and the ladies on this side. And I was told that is not a rule. It just kind of happened. It's proven. It's, 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 it's been proven. Who am I meeting tonight for the first time? Not me. Well, awesome. I, again, it's Daniel Norris. My wife and I, we, we hail from the great state of Texas. Woo-hoo. That's right, where our cowboys don't wear hats, they wear helmets, and they don't win football games. Although this season, we're, we're doing all right already. So Dak is, Dak is showing us that, you know, we might have a hope after Romo. So anyway. I know I'm in I'm in Atlanta country. That's, do I have any Falcons fans in the house? Yeah. Just a few of you? That's Woo! it? That's it? That's it? What if I say that dirty word, the Carolina Panthers? What if I what if I said that? Yeah, I thought I thought the room would turn sour. Um, I was hoping my family I had my 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 uh, wife and daughter are on their way back from Florida. They spent yesterday at Disney World. My little girl, she turns nine tomorrow. And so they, they went to Disney without me, and I think that's just rude. Yeah. Yeah, I'm like, what were they thinking? It was actually my idea. Anyway, my, my, we're homeless at the moment. Uh, we sold everything that we have. Yeah, no, we are. We, we are absolutely homeless. We sold everything that we had. I used to always preach this. I would say, imagine going into, I'd preach it with some fire too. Imagine going into your house and, and looking at everything that you have and just putting it out on the road and walking away from it. And if you can't do that, then there's something in your, in your house that you have that probably has too great a hold in you. And then the Lord said, sell everything you got. <laughs> and so we did. We sold our home. We sold our vehicles. We sold everything except for a few things that are absolutely irreplaceable. Um, and... We've been living homeless for the last two months. Our plan is to move everybody into a motor coach, and we're going to spend the next year on the road contending for revival in our nation. And so, you like that? Uh, we're excited about it. it you want to come too? Just, just come jump along in the, in the trail of fire. It'll be, it'll be a blast. And so I've made up my mind that the only hope that this nation has is a move of God. I am convinced it's not politics. Hello. <laughs> oh. We won't even talk about that mess. Anyway, I, I am just convinced that there is absolutely no hope in this nation except for a move of God. And I believe that you and I are on the edge of the greatest move that this nation and world has ever seen. And we get to be participators in that. 
And so we're contending for that. That's why we sold everything that we have to contend. And I believe I've come to a house, a church that God's already positioned and said, you're here for a reason. It's not just to continue doing the same thing you're used to doing, but to seeing life come, not just into you and into your family, but your schools and your city. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine if people were to say, man, the Atlanta area, that's where God's at. Some of you right now say, there ain't no way. You don't understand the kingdom the way I do. Are you in Luke chapter 8 with me? If you're there with me, say amen. You're not there. Luke chapter 8. Let's see, they made it easy. Luke chapter 8. Verse 40. The Bible says this. It says, now when Jesus returned the crowd. Someone say the crowd. The crowd welcomed him for they were all waiting for him. Your version may say they were expecting him. Say they were expecting they were expecting him. Well, we love to use that word in church, too. Come to church what? Expecting. Come expecting. Come. You came tonight expecting, expecting. I'm expecting a miracle. I'm expecting something to take place. What do we give them? A church service. Anyway, moving right along. And there was a man named Jairus. Say Jairus. Jairus was the ruler of the synagogue. Jairus was the ruler of the synagogue. Jairus had a job position. His job position was what? No, it's right there in front of you. You can read, right? It's English. The synagogue, he was the leader of the synagogue. He was the man of God. He was the man of the cloth. He was the religious leader. He was the pastor, the leader of the synagogue. And falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him. That means he prayed. He interceded to come to his house, for he only had a daughter who was 12 years of age, and she was dying. How old was his daughter? 12. 12. As she went, as he went, the people pressed, say pressed, pressed, pressed around him. And there was a woman, say a woman, who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. How long had this condition afflicted her? 12 years. How old was the girl? How long had this woman been afflicted? I imagine they might be related in some way. And though she had spent all of her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately the discharge of blood ceased. Say that word immediately. I love it. When God moves in your life, he moves suddenly. He moves immediately. Immediately her discharge of blood ceased, and Jesus asked, Who touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds surround you. Matthew and Mark, whenever he gives this account, Peter, he, he says, see, Jesus, see, look, everybody is touching you. But Jesus said, who touched me when all denied it? Peter said, look, they all surround you. They're all pressing in on you. Jesus said, no, someone touch me for I perceive that power. Say power. power. Oh, you said that so white. Power. Power. That's what I'm talking about. Put the T.D. Jakes on and someone say Power. 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 Power has gone out from me. And the woman saw that she was not hidden. She came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. He said to her daughter, your faith, whose faith? 
Her faith has made you well. Go in peace. While he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, Your daughter is dead. Don't trouble the teacher. Don't trouble Jesus anymore. But Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, saying, Do not fear. Only believe, and she will be well. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We are transformed and changed by your word. I pray that tonight that you would light your word on fire in our lives, Lord, that it would become life to us and in us. Pray this with me. Once again, say, Jesus, Jesus. I've come tonight, I've come tonight. To, touch to touch you. When I was eight, my dad and I went on one of those little father-son trips, which those were unusual growing up. My dad and I didn't spend a lot of time together but on this particular one. He took me to the boat and camper expo at the Carolina Expo Center in the upstate of South Carolina. And I thought that that was just cool because I love being outdoors. Do I have anybody that loves outdoors? You love camping? You just love being outside. So I'm, I'm enjoying this because this is cool because they got all kinds of things that guys like to do at boats, you know, and, and campers. And I've always wondered, you know, I mean, it's like, why does a man need a bass boat that does like 90 miles an hour on the water to catch a fish that can't swim one? I've wondered that. Anyway, so we're there, and we're, there's this hall after hall of all kinds of cool things, and we get over into this one section, and they had like this pool with a squirrel that water skis. <laughs> Anyone ever seen a squirrel water ski before? You've seen Twiggy the water skiing squirrel? He's fascinating for like 60 seconds. After that, the fun's over with. You realize that poor little squirrel's just hanging on for dear life. <laughs> just waiting for that boat to come to a stop so he can get back to his peanuts, you know? <laughs> He's like, just let me off this thing. Right next to the water skiing squirrel, they had a an indoor lake, an indoor pond to trout fish in. And I thought that's cool. I'm eight. I like fishing. And so it's the kind of place they, they charge you five bucks to fish for 15 minutes. And if you catch a fish, you have to pay for the fish. And figure out what to do as you walk around a boat show with a dead fish in your hand. But I'm eight. I asked Dad. I said, Dad, can I fish? He said, sure. So I, I got the, 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 the rod and the hook and the bait, and I popped it in the water. And it was easy because you could see this fish. You just put the hook right in front of them. They grabbed a hold of it. I caught the fish. We paid for the fish, and we walked around the boat show with a dead fish. It was fun. Come past that area, we come into the camping area, and we get there, and, man, it's just tents and outdoor stuff. And there was a guy who was all into taxidermy. You know what that is? Some of the people are like, what? What's that? Stuff, yes. You stuff the things that you've killed that you can hang on the wall because for some reason guys like to put dead things all around them. And so he had like a dead moose, and, you know, he had a moose head, he had an elk, he had, you know, um, deer, and, and, you know, um, he had mounted all kinds of things that I had never seen before, like a jackalope. <laughs> Anyone know what a jackalope is? Listen, just so you know, I, I grew up in the hills, the mountains of South Carolina. So, listen, I, I know what it is, is to, to be a redneck. And um, we, oh no, seriously, I, I come from a town, our, our mascot was a purple pig. Once a year, yes, once a year we had a thing called Hillbilly Day. We'd go up to the mountains, eat barbecue listen to bluegrass music, chase grease poles, and climb grease pigs. So just so you know, I, I know what it is it's to be a bit backwards. And so, <laughs> yeah, I'll tell you the story. Ask me about it later. I'll tell you all about that. What? No, we climb the grease pole and chase the grease pig. Does that work? <laughs> Something like that. So anyway, so uh, we this, this guy's got like the jackalope, which is a jackrabbit with deer antlers glued to his, his head. Like, why would somebody do that? I don't know why mountain folk do what they do. Right next to the jackalope was the head of Bigfoot. 
Now, I thought that was cool because I looked at Dad and said, Dad, look, he's got big We're not talking that picture you see in the magazine, you know, the fuzzy picture of the creature just giving the selfie from behind. But no, he's got Bigfoot's head. Dad's like, son, it's the rear end of a deer on a mannequin's head. I'm like, what kind of a sick, sick person takes the butt of a deer and puts it on the face of a, of a mannequin? I mean, it glues a marble in the left and the right cheek. I mean, come on. I won't even tell you what the man did with the mouth. Anyway. I'm looking at Bigfoot's head, and all of a sudden I hear the sound at the table next to it. It's I turn over there and look. There's a guy selling survival equipment. He's got a, a stun gun. Just taken out, he pulled the trigger, and you can see electricity pulse back and forth between the two electrodes. Oh, I thought that was cool. This dude was not selling it for self-defense. This is what he said. He said that if you were to be stunned by a scorpion or be bitten by a snake, that you could take the stun gun, put it to the bite, pull the trigger, neutralize the venom, and save your life. How many of you think that's crazy? I mean, come on. Think, think, think about this. You see, you're, out, you're outdoors, and suddenly your best friend, your best friend's name is Connor. Connor gets bitten by a snake, and instead of dialing 911, you say, no, I got this hand, and you reach into your bait and tackle box, you pull out a, a stun gun, and you stick it to the open wound that has venom and blood dripping from it, and you pull the trigger and shoot Connor with a million volts of electricity. It's like, there you go, Connor. Saved him from the snake bite. You gave him a heart attack. That's crazy. Who would believe something like that? Probably the same kind of person who would take that stun gun and put it in the hands of an eight-year-old. Because he did. And I was like, I got the power. I turn around. Y'all don't even know what I'm power to the old. Yeah, they don't know. They don't know. They don't know. They don't know. <laughs> They're missing out. I turn around, and there's my dad turned around. I see the small of his back. No. Oh, you didn't figure this out. It's like he had this target on his back. I walk right up to him. I take that stun gun, stick it right to his back. Pulled the trigger. My dad lit up like a Christmas tree. He came, came down from the ceiling, and he goes, who touched me? Seriously, my eyes got as big as Bigfoot's. That stunned my dad for like two seconds. I felt it for the next two weeks. You know what I mean? I, I learned in that moment, you better be real careful what you touch and how you touch it. We, we live in a world that's dirty. We live in a world that's dangerous. We live in a world with things that don't belong to us. And, and people make it very clear that there are things that you don't touch. Let me make it, let me make it plain. What's your name? Huh? Luana. Come here, Luana. Will you hold something for me? You hold that. We're just, since, since you already turned in the direction of all the guys. Hey, gentlemen. You see, you see Luana? I say this as a dad. Don't touch. Send, <laughs> like I'm going to get a picture. Send my little girl to school with that sign. 
Yes, you touch her and I, I'm going to touch you and it ain't going to be cool. <laughs> we understand this, don't we? My dad was great. He taught me in life, son, there's things that you what? He said, when you see wires sticking out of the wall, you what? You might get electrocuted. He said, son, when you see a stove or you see a fire, you what? You're going to get burned. When you see wet paint, you what? Most important lesson my dad ever taught me. He said, son, when you go to the men's restroom and you see that pink hockey puck. He said, son, there's ladies that I have no clue what they're talking about. Just thank God that you have no clue what I'm talking about. He said, son, no matter how much it looks like, smells like candy, you what? I I am forever appreciative. Of, listen, I'm raising a four-year-old boy and a two-year-old boy right now, and I have learned the most nastiest place on planet Earth is a men's restroom. I have, listen, I travel a lot, so I'm, I'm in, a lot of, in and out of a lot of airports, and I have started paying attention. Literally, I have started paying attention. I'm wondering how many dudes that walk in this place walk out and visit the sink and wash their hands, and I have no, about 50%. You're like, what? That's, that's nasty. Let me, let me borrow that for a second. What's your name? Kevin. Kevin, come here. Kevin, hold that. Listen, don't, don't touch. You, you don't know where those hands have been. <laughs> we, we understand, don't we? <laughs> we understand that there's, there's things in this world that we what? I think we get this. The story that we just read in scripture fascinates me because it's a story of three different people that came to touch Jesus. There was an expectant crowd that in the end wouldn't touch him. There was a desperate father who shouldn't touch him. And then there was this unclean woman who couldn't touch him. And out of the entire multitude that day, there's only two people that walked away and could say that they actually had got a touch from Jesus. And listen to me, because tonight, as you and I have come into this, this incredible place and we have been caught up in, in the midst of amazing worship and we've all felt the presence of the Lord. How many can say, I felt the presence? There, there's something tangible in this place today. Listen, whether or not you have an encounter with his power tonight has everything to do with what you decide to do in the next few minutes. That day, the crowd came into the presence of Jesus. That day, the crowd had an experience with his presence. They heard his words. They watched with their own eyes as he performed miracles. But they walked away, went home, and all they had was a story. There's two people who could say, my life changed. Tonight could be a night where we walk out and say, my life changed. Because I didn't just come to church. I had an encounter with him. I'm convinced that we've got to have an encounter, not with church, not with the best that man can produce. We need to have an encounter with our creator, the king of kings and the Lord of lords. I grew up in a great Pentecostal church, but it wasn't until I was 19 years old that I found myself in a service. I was sitting on the very back row, as far away from the preacher that you could possibly get, did not want to be there. Something was different about that day. Felt something pulling at the depths of the inside of me. And when he gave the altar call, I fought it for 45 minutes. It's a long altar call, isn't it? 
He emptied that place out of everybody that was there except for me and about 12 other stragglers. I was holding the back of that pew in front of me, white knuckling. I was not going to budge. And then he finally gave up, told everybody to sit down. He prayed with everybody that was there at the front. They went off to go disciple them or do something with them. And then he said, if anyone wants to get close to the Lord, I want to invite you to come to this altar. I sprung up from that seat, came all the way down to the altar. I don't know why to this day why it happened except for I believe the Holy Spirit saw that I had fought for so long and there he saw an opening he tugged one last time and I surrendered and I'm glad I did came all the way down to the altar lifted up my hands the power of God came all over me I collapsed to the ground this wasn't somebody praying for me pushing on me I just couldn't stand I lost the strength the ability to hold myself together I collapsed to the ground I'm staring at the ceiling and God starts speaking to me about my life I came into that place one way left totally transformed and changed Within weeks, it turned into a revival in our youth ministry. I went from being the worst kid to being the leader of the group. And we saw revival take place in our schools. I don't have time to tell you all the amazing things that we saw, but I believe that tonight, if you and I would just have an encounter with Jesus, everything changes. The Bible says that day there was a crowd that was expecting him. And they came with expectation, and they were brought into the opportunity of being in his presence. But just being in his presence is not enough to change us. We've got to have an encounter with his power. I believe that they would not touch Jesus because they would not let Jesus touch them. You're like, wait, the Bible says they were all pressing him. They were all touching him. Even in Mark's account, it says, see, master, the crowd, they are touching you. But in that crowd, as everybody is touching Jesus, Jesus says, no, somebody touched me. Can I tell you that the greatest problem you and I are ever going to have in experiencing anything from the Lord probably is that person sitting right next to you. In other words, the crowd. We always let the crowd dictate our experience. And I'm telling you tonight, you've got to push through that crowd. They wouldn't. Here's the reason why I believe they wouldn't touch him or let him touch them. Because we all know that whenever we truly come into Christ's presence and we pray a song like that and we say, Lord, you can have it all. He hears it and then he says, do you really mean it? Oh, yes, Lord, you can have it all. Okay, that porn addiction that you've got in your life. I want you to lay that down. Hey, Jesus, let's not talk about that. That habit, that addiction, that thing that you've been holding on to, I need you to lay that down. You said I could have it all. Give that to me, Jesus. Listen, I'm I'm at church on a Saturday night. (laughs) Isn't that enough? I mean, come on, I'm giving you more than 99.9% of my generation is. He says, no, I want it all. I'm either Lord of all or I'm not Lord at all. That hurt that you experienced when you were 13 years old, when your daddy walked out on you. Or you got touched and you got harmed by that person in your family. The way that you've been walking around carrying all of that hurt and that rejection and that disappointment. I need that. Lay that down. Forgive and give that to me. Jesus, you're getting too personal. <laughs> Pastor, I liked it a whole lot more when you were telling jokes just a few minutes ago. Can't, can't we go back to that? 
Listen, this is what's been killing us in the church is that we've been entertaining you instead of calling you to a place of being equipped and empowered. We bring people into a crowd and we give them an experience. We put together the best environments. We've got lights and we've got atmosphere and we've got music, but what we don't have is power. I'm tired of settling for the best that man can produce. I want to touch my creator. That requires us saying, Jesus, I really mean it. Come touch me. Come touch me. You can have it all. I saw it tonight as I looked across this room. It's not many of us in this room, but I, I saw it. I, you had your hands uplifted or you were just sitting there with your hands at your side. The truth is, spiritually, you had this big sign over your head that was saying, don't touch me. Don't touch me. I'll just stay right where I'm at. Expecting a crowd that wouldn't touch Jesus. Because in the end, they really didn't want Jesus to touch them. But in that crowd, suddenly comes a desperate he breaks through the crowd and he finds himself in a position at the feet of Jesus. And he was begging him, you've got to come to my house. Why was he begging him? Why? His daughter was dying. But yet the gospel points out this individual to be what? The leader of, they give us his job position. I would tell you it was not his job position, the fact that he was a leader of the synagogue that brought him to Jesus that day. It was the fact that he was a father. There was a need in his house, and he recognized that without the intervention of this man, I'm going to lose what's precious to me. And so he put himself in a position that, truthfully, he shouldn't have been at because if you... If you know what was happening during that day and that time, all the religious leaders, all the synagogue leaders, they didn't like Jesus. And they would have all said, you know that guy that's been out on the hillside, he's been attracting crowds, and he's been preaching that message that he's preaching and healing the sick. Listen, if you like your position in the synagogue, if you like your prestige, if you like having this position of honor, don't you go out there and touch that man. And that was fine for a while, but then... 12-year-old girl in his house got sick. And he realized, these guys can't help me. And so he abandoned that religious position, and he came and put himself at the feet of Jesus, and he began to plead with him and say, I've got to get you to come to my house. Everybody else is saying that you can't come. Everybody's saying that you shouldn't be welcome there, but there's something that you've got that I need, and I'm asking you to come because I'm not willing to lose something that's precious to me. Can I make this real? You know that the men of God, the pastors, the leaders, the elders in this generation, the ones that are leading movements all across this nation, they have labeled your generation. They call you the four percenters. So what does that mean? This has been well documented. They've, they've got all the, I've been in the conferences. They've all sat together and they've all said this, that if something doesn't change, that only 4% of your generation will reach adulthood having grabbed a hold of the essentials of the Christian faith. And they are strategizing, trying to figure out how do we go forward and maintain our positions when we're dealing with less in the future. Oh, and they come up with ideas. Well, if we could get the 4% to go up to, I don't know, 16%, then that would give us uh, another, a uh, few more years, another, maybe another decade. 
I'm like, I serve a God that can save a nation in a single day. Why aren't we believing for a generation to come alive in him? Instead of riding off the gen- you know what that's saying? That's saying, hey, you know what? You may lose one, but it's okay. We still got 99. But the heart of a father says, no, I'm not going to lose what's precious to me. And though you're telling me that he's not welcome in this house, I'm going to pray until revival, until Jesus shows up, because I'm not going to lose, not on my watch. That's why I'm thankful for a church like this, leaders like Pastor Stefan and Micheline and, and this incredible ministry where it's like I, we're not about trying to be the group that everybody else is out, the popular group. No, we want to see you have an encounter with the power and presence because we can't offer you anything that's going to help you out there except for the empowerment of the Holy Ghost. Come on, you all know what I'm talking about. You, you go to that church. You know, you know what I'm talking about? That, that ch- oh, you go, to, you go to that church? That church with the, the with the flags. <laughs> I mean, sometimes I've been around people. What church? Oh, they're proud to tell. You, I go to such and such first church. You know, out there on the on the big, you know, the big, big, big church. They're proud of that fact. I'll put that bumper sticker on my car. So, what church you go? I, I go to. You go to where? That Pentecost where they t- they talk in tongue. They they do that dancing and the flag waving and all that stuff. <laughs> Yeah, don't, don't touch that church. But you let them get sick. You let them have a need in their life. Guess what? They're saying, don't you tell me where that church is at. <laughs> so Jesus is on his way to Jairus' house to go touch this little girl. This woman breaks through the crowd. Who's had an issue of blood. She's had a nonstop menstrual cycle for 12 years. For 12 years, this flow of blood has just been exiting her body. She's been depleted of her strength. Because of the law of the Jews, the Levitical law, it's written into the law that a woman with a flow of blood was unclean. You want to talk about somebody tonight who could look at us and say, yeah, that sign, I understand that because that was my life for 12 years. I had a private condition. I had something going on in my life that had produced a public uncleanliness. And because of that, I wasn't allowed to touch anybody and nobody else could touch me. I had to live life as an outcast. I had to live life like a leper. If the Bible uh, doesn't make this totally clear, but theologians believe that if, if she had been married, her husband likely would have divorced her years ago. Her family would have had to distance themselves from her because they couldn't come around her. Anything that she touched becomes unclean. She had to separate herself from everybody. She said, don't touch. That was my life. I lived that. Her story is just like our story. Every single one of us have our private things, our private conditions that nobody else knows. Listen, if I opened up my black book of secrets in my life and it just spilled out everything that I've ever done, you'd look at me and say, you've got no business standing up there. I can offer you a million reasons why Jesus can't use me. He offers one why he can. It's called the cross. Her story is just like our story. It's a private condition that nobody knew anything from the outside just looking at her, but it had produced public uncleanliness, and it was producing death in her, and she had absolutely no hope. She had spent everything that she had. She is a picture of desperation and total poverty. 
And then she hears a story about a man that when he touches people, they get healed. When he touches people, they come back to life. A man that's so unlike anyone else that she's ever heard about that literally has power with inside of him. And she believes that if he would touch me, I would get healed. But she has a problem. I going to do because I'm convinced if I could just get him to touch me, everything would change, but he can't. You may be here tonight and you think he cannot move in my life because of this that took place. This thing that's going on in my, my life is so jacked up and messed up. There's no way that he can touch my life because of all the things that are going on. I literally, I want him to touch me. I want everything to change, but he can't do it. comes up with this plan to sneak up behind him and grab hold of the hem of his garment. That'd be enough. I can see her pressing through that crowd. As he's passing by, she takes hand and she grabs hold of the, the hem of his garment. Immediately, power leaves him and comes into her. That flow of blood stops. She feels health come back into her life. She's totally, completely healed, and she slips back into the crowd thinking it worked. But then Jesus stops in his tracks, and he says, who touched me? Jesus, everybody's touching you. No, somebody touched me. Jesus, look with your eyes. They're literally, they're all pressing. I know, I know that's what you think you see with your eyes. They look like they're worshiping me, but their hearts are far from me. No, there's somebody in this crowd that pressed through and they grabbed hold of me. Something has left power, has virtue has left me. And he kept pushing and pushing until the Bible says that she realized she could be hidden no more. And she comes trembling at his feet and she begins to explain why she had touched him and how she had been healed. I asked myself, why? Did she sneak up from behind him? Why would she do that? Could it be that she thought that if I was to ask Jesus to touch me, he might say no. And I can't bear that because it's the only hope that I've got. That's the worship team to come. It's the only hope that I've got. And so she reasons in her mind that if I can just touch him, that'll be enough. Nobody has to know. And all of a sudden, he stops. And I have to think that immediately she starts thinking to herself, I was afraid that was going to happen. He knows what I did. He felt my unclean. I wasn't supposed to touch him. I wasn't, I'm unclean. I touched him. And now he's, un I've made him unclean. And she comes trembling at his feet and begins to explain why she did what she did. And Jesus says, daughter, your faith has made you whole. search all of the New Testament. Look at every miracle that Jesus ever performed. This is the only miracle in Scripture in which Jesus was an unknowing participant in the miracle. He didn't know she was there. I feel his presence right now. Would you stand to your feet with me? 
I know when the wind of the Holy Spirit moves into a room, lift up your hands. Come on, make up your mind that nothing's off the table. Listen, you may have come here tonight with a jacked up life. <laughs> Everything's falling apart. This thing's going on in your life nobody else knows about. I'm telling you tonight that if you'll just let him touch you, everything changes. Pastor, how can it be that simple? Because I know Jesus. Unknowing participant in the miracle. Every other miracle that you'll see, Jesus is either responding to the faith in the individual or he's moving by his own faith. But in this one, he didn't know she was there. She just simply was in his presence. And she had faith that if I can get hold of him, everything changes. You realize you and I are in his presence right now. That just simply is the consequence of the fact that we came expecting. We have spent time worshiping him. We're becoming mindful of his presence. But whether or not I get an encounter with him has everything to do with where I put my faith right now. The decision that I make that says, Lord, I'm going to take down every don't touch sign in my life and tell you, you are fully welcome to come and have your way. I mean it. You can have it all. Every part, nothing held back. You know what I love in this story is that this woman, she did not have good theology. What do you mean by that, Pastor? You and I both know Jesus well enough in the stories that we've read in Scripture and the things that we've seen that had she asked him to touch her, he would not have said no. She couldn't take the chance. She didn't have good theology. She didn't know him the way that you and I can know him. But she put her faith in the right direction. And I love that because it tells me that I don't have to have everything all figured out. That I don't have to understand everything. I just need to know that Jesus has got the answer. And I've got to get to him. Come on, there's power in that. Some of you trying to put it all together and figure it all out. I'm just telling you, you put yourself in Jesus' hands and it'll all be all right. Whew. Come touch me, Jesus. Come touch me, Jesus. Come touch me, Jesus. I awaken right now in you hunger. I call out to the sleeper that resides on the inside of you who's allowed religion to tame you, to keep you in the confines of what you have always found comfortable. Tonight I come into this place and I tell you that it is time to awaken and arise for your moment has come and the Lord says, come to me. Tell him, Lord, you can have it all. Come on, what have you taken off the table? What have you told him, Lord, you can't touch that?